Aloha, I'm Marcia Sortino. Welcome to Pay Radio, talk radio worth listening to. To all our regular listeners, thank you for coming back. To all our new listeners, congratulations. You just discovered one of the most powerful talk radio shows there is. As we get ready for this class, I suggest you find something to take notes with. Every show is packed with all sorts of inspiring, insightful ideas, ahas, and breakthroughs. While you find some paper and a pen, I wonder, how many people do you know are paid to learn, then paid to teach what they learn? I'll put that another way. I'm both a student and a teacher of Pay Me What I'm Worth. By the time I complete my class as a student, the money I'm paid to teach Pay Me What I'm Worth will cover what I paid Seoul University, and then some. At the end of our class, I'll tell you how to become a paid student and teacher for this life-changing journey. It's time to meet my class. We decided to be collectively known as Team Seekers. Here they are. Hey everybody, Green Maze, and I am from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. This is David H. Paul from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hello, Chris Peters, and I'm from Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. Rick and I live in Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha, this is Cheryl from Hawaii. Hello everybody, this is Agnes Talley in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're the home of the dogwood tree with its beautiful white flowers in the spring of the year. And finally, aloha! Soul here, author of Pay Me What I'm Worth and Marsha's co-pilot on this journey. I hope we've given you enough time to grab a pad of paper and a pen to take notes. Our class starts now. I am having a blast with watching Marsha multitask between Team Clarity and Team Seekers, and I'm finding it fascinating how what she's learning in Team Clarity, there's a lesson that comes up in Team Seekers almost as a perfect fit to what she's learning in Team Clarity. Is that a fair statement, Marsha? <laughs> I know that what I'm learning in Team Clarity is something that I am actually experiencing and doing in Team Seekers. <laughs> wow. I'm just commenting on that because. Once again, more often than not, almost three or four times a day, I'll get a call about what's this deal about being a paid teacher and how can I teach something I don't know and those types of things. Marsha, you're beginning to see the value because you started as basically a student in Team Clarity, right? Yes. And then you magically attracted all of these wonderful people on Team Seekers and now you started wearing the teacher's hat along with the student hat. Knowing what you know now, would you have started as both a student and teacher cold? I believe I would have, yes. Absolutely. I am experiencing that it is really the same feeling for me. I'm learning from my students and I'm learning about myself. So whether I take the role of the teacher or whether I take the role of the student, I'm learning. It's the same idea for me. It's the same feeling almost. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, let's kick it off. Week 29, exercise 17 of Chapter 5, How Worth Grows. Ask first, act. Second, as you dove into this exercise, what rattled your cage? What rattled my cage was looking out rather than looking in, observing my relationships with people around me, not casting so much judgment and throwing so many stones, and really just chilling out and going, you know what, I just got to relax and I got to just listen more. And I have to learn to take suggestions from people as a sign of, help rather than criticism. That was something I was having a really hard time with. I was accepting suggestions because I've been a lone wolf for so long. 
I've always done stuff my way, so being able to just release that and now go, okay, there are other people that know things that I should be paying attention to and listening to. That was one of my big standouts from this. Also, the fact that when I did my treasure hunt again and cleaned out, I've sold four items already. I've made some money. Cool. Now, more so than ever, I am attracting people out of the blue that I know are asking for my help in some way. So I have to ask the question, how can I help you? And before I know it, we're setting up an appointment to talk. But before I do that, I'm definitely sharing one of the class calls. Marcia, can I turn that question around? Sure. You said the question is, what can I do for you, right? Mm-hmm. What happens if you ask the question, what can I do for me? Well, that would be, I'm asking the question for myself. Exactly. Myself. What happens if Marcia Sortino, instead of Marcia Sortino saying, what can I do for you? Marcia Sortino asked Marcia Sortino, while looking at her face in the mirror, what can I do for you? In other words, what can I do for me? Right. I would be able to answer that depending on how I'm feeling at that moment. What can I do for me right now? So I have this tendency to decide what is it that I'm feeling right now. It was really something else because I did notice that after that gentleman decided to talk to me and I was drained of a little bit of energy, I remembered you said drink some water, and I did. That's what I did. I drank water. Got my Good. energy a little bit. Good. Off. Folks, what do you think is behind my suggestion of asking myself what I can do for myself in relation to this exercise, ask first, act second? So I can learn where I'm off balance, so I can get more in touch with what I'm feeling in the moment and take the action that I need in order to get back to the center of my core to become more balanced? Yes. Now keep in mind, you're on the thread, Marsha. Keep in mind, we're still in the first half of our journey of pay me what I'm worth. We're still in that part about learning how to receive, right? We've not right. crossed the bridge yet, and we have yet to really dive into learning how to give. We're learning how to receive, and I'm suggesting that when I ask myself that question, what can I do for myself? What I'm doing is I'm putting that feeling out there. I'm putting that heart energy out there that I would like to attract to me people that I can receive what I need to receive. Was that too esoteric? <laughs> nope. Not at all. I got it instantly. Not at all. <laughs> that when I'm open to receiving and when I can do something that helps me, I'm in a better possession to give to others. And when there I have go. time for myself, I can feel good to spend it with my girlfriend, my family, you guys people who I'm working with, people who I like to hang out with. But if I don't take time for me, I can't give time for anyone else or anything else. And that's one thing I've been kind of neglecting. Mm. Mm. You're spot on, Kareem. Spot on. The whole purpose of this chapter is looking at what are my needs? What do I want? Now, there's a difference between needs and wants. It might sound semantic, but anybody want to give me a definition of what they think the difference is between a need and a want? A need is like air and water. And a want is something like that you think that you need. A desire. A desire, yeah. That's how Excellent. I look at it. Sort of something. Well, actually, I disagree, Rick, because I actually, yeah, you need water and air objectively and stuff, but you still need love and time, I believe, 
I don't know how to say this without saying all of us, but I know as a human being you need love and time in addition to water, air, and food and all that stuff that they... So you're not really uh, agreeing, you're just adding. Oh, well, yeah. I'm adding to the list. There you go. I think there's components of emotions humans need to express to survive. So is it safe to say that if I say something like, I need soup, if I'm going to make soup, I'm going to need water, correct? It's the basic. Yeah. So what I'm asking you all to think about in exercise 17 is, what do you need and when do you want it and who has it? What do you need when do you want it and who has it? There's absolutely beautiful wisdom in one of the old Chinese proverbs, half stolen is half well done. Anybody want to venture into what that proverb means? I think he means if you're half open to receiving, then you can be half open to giving, whoever says that. Okay. Other thoughts? I don't have a clue because this is the first time I've heard it. Let me put it in a different phrase that I know you've heard before. Why recreate the wheel? Think about that. Agnes, if you had to create from scratch all the accounting procedures that you were taught, if someone told you, here's the deal, in order for you to do what you need to do, you've got to recreate everything that's already been created, what would you say to them? At this point in life, I'd say forget it. (laughs) Maybe two years ago, I would have tried to do it. (laughs) But as my grandson says, there comes a time when you have to ask for help. (laughs) Amen. I'm just curious, how many times, especially after you've looked at your timeline, how many times did you recreate a wheel? I may be recreating things, but I don't know what they are. (laughs) Well, let me put it in another way of looking at it. How many times did you thought you learned a lesson and you could check that lesson off your list and then days, months, weeks, years later, that lesson creeps back in again? The lesson creeps back or the thing that I did to learn the lesson? (laughs) Both. Both. It comes back around again. Yeah. Yeah, I just keep reviewing things, yeah. The magic behind exercise 17 is to attract someone who has done what I would want to do. Why would I want to attract someone who has done or is doing something that I would like to do? So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Green, that's a good point. And Agnes, you were going to say? I said, well, I think you would be wanting to learn something from them. Mm-hmm. There's something even more rich. There's a, a really big reward by attracting someone who has done or is doing what I want to do. Besides just teaching me the nuts and bolts, there's something even richer underneath it. What is it? I would think that there's a common ground, there's a common connection there. I know for myself, the things that I want to do in life, those big desires, what Napoleon Hill called a white-hot burning desire, having somebody else that shares that, that shares that same white-hot burning desire, we come together and we create a mastermind. And the sum of our parts, that's not 2 plus 2 equals 4, it's 2 plus 2 equals 98. You're getting there. You're on the thread, David. Keep going. Keep going. Well, that and what a romance that would be. (laughs) Talk about expanded joy. I would think that my ability to give and receive would expand greatly as well. Making friends for life like that, that's some awesome stuff. I think about the impact on the world as well. I think about the ripple effect, that kind of a of a drop of water in the pool would have. Definitely. So going back to the title of this chapter, How Worth Grows. 
mixing into this reality that our relationships are one of the primary ways we grow exponentially in multiple ways. True? Yes. Yes. Very true. Remember that we expanded. It's not who you know and who knows you. It's who you know, who knows you, and how well they know you. And what was that last part? I know them. How well they know you and how well you know them. Exactly. Now, let's ripple that forward. When I start going down a path that I've never been before, and I need mentors, I need teachers, one of the blocks to my learning is not really knowing the who's and the when's and the how's and the why's. I need to find those people that can tell me that, right? Right. Who has a story of a time where you met someone and as you got to know each other, that person started integrating you into their family, into their social network, into their professional network, and that opened up a whole new realm of worth. I actually was going to talk about meeting Chris and Marsha, because funny enough, that's how I'm here, and that's how I was in a lot of different stuff, but I felt like after meeting them, I was integrated into family of our own, which is partially here. That's, that's all I got. Good start. Good start, Rick. I met a guy surfing at Sebastian Inlet, South African guy. He asked me if I would paint his house. I said, yeah. He said, show up tomorrow at 8 o'clock and I'll pay you $14 an hour. So I went over there. He's like, I was the first person that ever showed up that said they were going to show up. Oh, jeez. Even in the whole day. This is Vero Beach. I showed up. I painted their house every day, and they were very appreciative, really nice. Then he taught me how to work on sailboats. And from $14 an hour, I went to 20 And we were on sailboats all day. We'd surf in the morning and then work on the sailboat. And he introduced me to his whole family everything like that. They're pilots. They had me hauling stuff, playing from Indiana for them. Then, after that, we're still friends today because we were working on this boat at this lady's house. After I got struck by lightning, this lady happened to hire me to put on her roof and redo her whole million-dollar home. So I had an income from just knowing this one man. Those are some of the things I can explain to you of what happened from knowing this one guy. Excellent example. Excellent example. Others? I had a girlfriend that was in the restaurant business, and as soon as she got into the airline business, I met a whole new group of people because she actually was instrumental in helping my husband get into the airlines business. So it was a whole new network of people that I got to meet. Through those people, I met some really very cool people, some artists, some people that owned yachts. I met a lot of people. Even when I worked in the language school, I taught English to foreign students. I met a whole new group of people <laughs> through my students and through other teachers. So meeting new networks of people, that has been really an amazing experience for me. I've learned so much about different cultures, different experiences of people and what they've had in their life. It's really been an experience to meet these people and their networks because they had shown me a whole different world. Bingo. So let's have some fun with numbers. There are 11 people in Team Seekers. Each person in Team Seekers knows at least one other person. True? Yes. We got one yes. 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 
So now we're up to 22. And those 22 people probably know at least one other person. True? True. So now yeah. we're, up to four, we're up to 44 people. How soon can we get up to 1,000 people? Same day. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> yeah. Easily. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I put to you that exercise 17, when done correctly, as I get to know someone and I get adopted into their social network, their personal network, their professional network, I probably double, triple, or quadruple my connections with just that one connection. And then the law of exponentials as I get to know a few of those people that I've been introduced to, maybe I am introduced to 10 other people out of this person's personal network. And I get to know just two of those people well. And they introduce me to uh, literally another thousand people. Where am I going with this? A whole connection hmm. of networks, different networks, people that can really show us different things in their world. They can help me and I can help them. In balance. Do you understand now why I'm so concerned about balance? I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I get to know someone. If that happens to be a romantic relationship, I am completely blinded to the fact that I've just thrown away my balance. And I'm reminded of that imbalance when I have people who I love and cherish say, Soul, we've not heard or seen you in like two months. What's going on? <laughs> when I was doing my master's in social work, I was out of balance big time. But then I recognized I just had to tell the people that I love dearly, look, I would love to be able to talk with you every week or have dinner or show up or do something. But I'm buried. I'm taking extra credits just to get through my program quickly. So I'll see you three months from now. <laughs> <laughs> so part of the conversation that we need to have around exercise 17 is it really does boil down to one of those age-old questions, quantity over quality. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Yes, definitely. I'd rather have 10 quality relationships than 100 people who are flaky or don't care. Absolutely. I take five great friends for life, over 5,000 random followers. So with that awareness, when someone friends you or follows you on Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest or Instagram or whatever else there is out there, and you start poking around their profile and you see they've got 8,000 followers or 22K in, in tweet followers or just enormous number of people that they're either following or being followed by. What does that tell you? Not much. <laughs> no, not that much. It means they know how to get that thing done and make it look like they're an expert. So they got that going for them, at least... They themselves know or somebody did it for them to create that image. That's but right. All I know is that this person knows how to create an image. How many all friends do normal people have, you guys? I'm just curious. On Facebook, I have almost 3,000 now, but I've been on there for a very, very long time. No, not them. I'm talking about real friends. In yeah, did you really consider your friend. How many friends does each of us have? I'm just curious. I can't go to both full hands, Rick. I know, I mean, real and real friends, like lifelong die-for-you friends, less than 10 for sure. That's really good. I think that's incredible. I would say it's about random count 9 to 10, and I'd count both my parents in there who really have that kind of a relationship. What about you, Chris? How many friends do you have, people that you consider your friends? Like David Paul says, you mean to die for your friends? <laughs> I'm just curious. 
Well, how many friends do we have, really? Well, I got you guys. Besides us, I'm talking about guys that you know. You punched in the arm and had a beer with and shit. So, the four. That's really good, I think. Yep. Thank you. That's more than me. Because I was trying to think, you know, besides being speakers, like, David Paul has an army of friends, and I bet sold us, too. Well, I'm going to piggyback off our conversation that we had last night for the Holiday Blues Busters. Building a solid support network. To me, a solid friendship is a person who pops in my mind when all hell breaks loose. And I know that if I were to text or call them, they would drop everything instantly, without question, without bitching about it, without any reservation whatsoever, and they would say, what do you need me to do now? And they would do it, without question, without bitching about it, without any strings, without any IOUs, without any, boy, you're going to owe me a big one. So how many faces pop up in my mind that I can directly access and I can say, look, I need your help. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And they would do it without question, without bitching about it, without keeping a scorecard or tally sheet. Those are what I call my solid support network. Yep. I agree. Those are the types of relationships I dream each of you are building with each of you within Team Seekers. Therefore, quality versus quantity, as we get into an age where we seem to be hell-bent on numbers, how many millions of dollars or billions of dollars is that person worth? What does a person's bank balance equate to when it comes to building a healthy relationship with them? One of the biggest issues that we use when looking at how worth grows, if we want to be really pragmatic, you've got these people who, quote-unquote, are financially rich. Honestly speaking, I know a a number of people who have nine- and ten-digit bank accounts, but I would not count them as a friend of mine, though they may count me as a friend of theirs. And the reason why I do not count them as a friend of mine is because I know any time I have asked them for support, even in the lightest of sense, there's an IOU being created. There's a string attached. There's a debit and credit relationship. Those are the types of relationships I run from. Any ideas as to why I would run from those types of relationships? Because they're just manipulating It's just a manipulating relationship. They don't really care about how you feel or what you're going through or anything. They just want to know what they can get out of it for themselves, basically, to use it. Yep. I don't want to hammer over my head. No. Thus, another reason how I teach Pay Me What I'm Worth is by you all focusing on yourselves. I have this silly little notion that (laughs) I'm my own worst critic. I'm my own worst scorekeeper. I'm my own worst devil's advocate. None of you all can come close to holding me more accountable than I can hold myself accountable to. Right? Right. (laughs) Is that a fair, would that be a fair global statement? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. What do we have for him, Johnny? (laughs) So why on God's green earth would I ask you to help me keep accountable to something? We're all accountable for ourselves. We have to be accountable for ourselves. Now we can support each other and say, hey, have you done this or have you done this or are you doing this? But at the end of the day, we're all responsible for the actions we take and we we can't hold anybody else accountable if we don't want someone to hold us accountable, if we don't want somebody to have unreasonable expectations of us, we can't have unreasonable expectations of somebody else. Agreement. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) 
I found the quickest way for me to really test a friendship or a relationship, I think, is going to be one of those lifelong friendships. Invite that person to be your accountability partner. <laughs> Watch what happens. <laughs> that separates the big boy and big girl pants from the no pants at all in a heartbeat. And when someone asks me to be their accountability person, I ask them why. What is it in me that you think you want to give me such control over your life, which I do not want, but why are you handing me that? You're setting me up in a trap because the day will come, even though you've given me carte blanche, you might have even put it in writing. Some people have made me power of attorney for finances, power of attorney for health care. They've legally put in documentation what I have the right to do. And there comes times where, all right, I'm going to exercise my right based on what you've told me. And unbeknownst to me, there is something that they've buried that they've not told me about. And so I make a decision that goes against the grain, and now I'm devil spawned. Self-accountability, ladies and gentlemen. I don't mind if someone calls me up and says, Soul, look, I'm on the program now. I'm going to look at retiring 125 pounds. And in order to do that, I would really like one email from you about twice a month, just checking in on me, just saying hi, just put something in my email inbox. Can you do that for me? That I have no problem whatsoever doing. Why? Because I have no problems making that email, and then I release anything that I expect around the outcome of that email. Whether they answer it or not, doesn't matter. If their answer has a whole bunch of whack, 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 excuses, 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 doesn't matter. I'm not your jailkeeper, right? Right. So building relationships, ask first, act second. When someone asks you to be their accountability person, what are you going to do before you act? Well, I'm going to ask them, why would you want to give me that power? Why mm -hmm. would you want me to have that kind of opportunity to control your existence? And depending on the answer, I may be able to point that friend in a better direction. Like, why don't you come hang out with us at Tools of Letting Go for a while? <laughs> <laughs> I asked them, why do you want me to be a source of doubt, guilt, shame, or worry? <laughs> yeah, yes. I was thinking the oh same thing. Oh, my God, thing. yes. Like, Ew, what did I do to you? Uh, well, I, yikes, I must have really pissed you off in some way. I don't know. But David, you brought up something very key, and we're going to get into more of this as we get into chapters 8, 9, and 10, but that agreements thing. When I make an agreement with you that I would like to interview you, and I make an agreement with you that I'm going to call you or show up at a certain time and have two or three prepared questions for you, and I show up at that time with those two or three prepared questions, right off the bat, how would you feel about me by showing up on time and having a couple, three prepared questions? That's a really, really good sign of respect. That's a really good offer. That's showing me some credibility. That's showing me that you respect my time, and that's pretty cool. Much like Rick showing up on time to paint the house. Right on. See how easy it is to build credibility when you match your word with your deed? Yep. Yep. When you say you're going to do something, do it, or don't expect people to believe in you. It's pretty simple. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that eludes so many, but anyway. But what happens if I tell myself I'm going to do something and I don't do it? It's the same thing. <laughs> Ooh, that own worst critic thing comes to mind? Yep. Here we go. Get the whip out. <laughs> so on page 90, I then offer you a way to really stretch some boundaries and stretch them in a culturally sensitive way. What happens when you're starting to meet someone and you become aware that 
the Q&A session has been a little lopsided, meaning either the person's been asking you a lot of questions and they've drawn you out considerably, or vice versa. And you're looking to seek that balance. That's required risk-taking, isn't it? Yes. There's a nuance to this step that we must address, and it directly affects our ego. Actually, there's a couple primary nuances. Anybody want to take a stab at which two nuances I'm going to put on the dartboard for you to throw some darts against? The best way to learn is to become a teacher and to learn it right off the seat of your pants. Yep, teacher-student relationships. So when I find myself out of balance because I've asked you a lot of questions and I've drawn you out, and you seem to have no problem with talking and sharing wonderful, heartfelt responses to my questions, I'm beginning to build that deeper relationship with you. And then I offer you an awareness that I've been doing all the questioning. Let me hand the mic over to you now. I mean, is there anything you'd like to know about me? What happens if you say, not really? (laughs) (laughs) I've seen people like that. Yeah. You close yourself up. You close your world. That's what happens. You don't have balance. You're not going to receive. You're not being able to receive. So if somebody tells me that they're really not interested in getting to know me, now what do I do? Well, thank you. You know, let's finish our dinner and or our meal and see you later. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye. Or, or not. From an ego standpoint, what's the likely response from my point of view? I'm the one who is being told, no, I'm uninteresting. No, they really don't want me in their life, no, while they have no problems talking about themselves ad nauseum, they really could not be the least bit interested in me. What would be a typical ego response from my end? Oh, absolutely. The hell with you, then. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I bringing this up? It's an E word. It starts with E for expectations. If I go into an interview and I'm interviewing someone where I'm hoping that they might become my mentor, that's an expectation. If I go in and do an interview and I have expectations that they might be at least a teeny bit curious about me, that's an expectation. Where am I going with that? Well, it's one of those lessons of put the ego at the door along with the doubt, doubt, guilt, and shame. And this is an exploration. It's important in this exploration to understand all outcomes are perfect. Can't get it wrong. And that person may or may not want to be a fit with me. And if I'm not a fit with them and they are not a fit with me, next. That's great. I learned a whole bunch from that. I can't learn a whole bunch if I'm expecting this person to be my hero. If I'm expecting this person to to be my savior, if I'm expecting this person to be the be-all, end-all in my life, I'm out of balance. Bingo. Well put. You're on the right thread, David. There's another nuance here, too. There's a nuance here that's really tricky. What's the difference between being objective and manipulative? I was thinking that If someone were to approach me in that manner, if I were really taking a look at that situation, I would just allow myself to let go, not be attached to that outcome. Give them a sense of peace with it because I don't want to manipulate anybody. I have enough of my own stuff to work on. I don't need to manipulate somebody. If they want to get to know me and I want to get to know them, it will be a mutual agreement. Free of manipulation, right? Yes. 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 Bingo. Bingo, 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 bingo. 
Ladies and gentlemen, how many times have you been in a situation where a person's questioning you and they seem like they're really interested in you, but your gut is going, something's up here? <laughs> More times than I can. <laughs> the Amway guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I can feel that people doing that, I'm just like, you know what? You're questioning me because you are trying to tell me something about me that I should change or that I don't like it at all. And I find myself practicing the habit of practicing what I preach. I'm doing the best. I want to stop questioning people as well. Unless it's something really major, they've done something, then they're doing something destructive, then I might ask them some questions. But no, I like being reserved in that. So in those situations where your gut is doing a deeper listening, whenever I'm interviewing someone and there isn't this chemistry, when I'm interviewing someone and the chemistry is missing, for example, if I'm interviewing someone and they're being very clinical or they're being quite professional, they're being very abrupt, they're answering my questions in the fewest possible words, Maybe they're looking at their watch or glancing up at a clock or glancing at their iPhone. I can tell that they're going through the paces. The chemistry is not there. Right. So it behooves me to say to them, I know you're very busy. I really appreciate your time. Clearly, we should wrap this up because I sense that my questioning for you really isn't giving you any added value at all. You're placating my questions. And so I just want to bring to your awareness that if we need to wrap it up, I'm more than happy to wrap it up. If I said that to you in an interview with you, while you thought you were being quite pleasant and quite professional and quite accommodating, what do you think would happen? The person would be, oh, I'm sorry that I gave you that impression. Gosh, I didn't realize that whatever was going on with me was going to be so obvious for you. I apologize. Let's continue. All of a sudden, my focus would become a little bit more intense. David, wouldn't I gain a few points in your book just by making that statement? Absolutely, because I really like people that can bust me. (laughs) Bust you for your crap. (laughs) Yeah, and call me out on the carpet. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm hanging out with you. I have something to learn. Bingo. Cheryl, you were going to make a comment? I think a lot of people would get defensive and say, fine, if that's the way you feel, then let's just be done with it. I've known a lot of people that way. I guess you'd have to word it correctly so that they wouldn't get defensive. But even if they do, even if I was the most gentle, compassionate termed response and they chose to take offense and end it what does that tell me about the potential of that person being my mentor that you didn't need to work with them anyways (laughs) it wasn't a match that was the sound of clapping (laughs) (laughs) any particular insights as to why I'm digging a little deeper with this exercise with you all We just finished the timeline, and it was pretty easy for me to write down all the people in my life, the events, everything that I experienced in my life. It wasn't that hard for me because I had been working on myself, I think, for a long time. I just didn't really realize it at the moment that I was going through it. It was easy for me to see how other people affected me. But I finally decided I'm taking a look at my own crap now, too, and how I took part in it and what part I had in it. And I was able to see more about myself that way. When I took a look at my whole picture, now I could see where I needed to change, especially if I'm dealing with relationships, because that's what I do now. This exercise really helps me to look inside myself and in the process of interviewing people like this, 
what I'm doing is I'm putting myself in a position where I get to experience more of those areas that I found on my timeline. I get to experience them and make some choices, make some new choices about how I choose to respond, about how I choose to support myself, how I choose to gain better worth inside of myself. Because I get to choose, am I going to act in this situation with these questions that I'm asking? Or am I going to choose to react kind of like I used to do? So it's a great way to reinforce and also to learn the new skills while in the middle of a situation like that, in the middle of a pretty intimate situation. Mm-hmm. Mr. Peters, you blogged something that I highly recommend everyone go out and look in the back office and read your blog post regarding your Chapter 5 journey. You were saying that in Step 3, when I asked you to consider the best way to know yourself deeply is to risk knowing others deeply. That rang a chord for you. Exercise 17, another way to look at this, what was that famous line in one of the Walt Disney movies? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? (laughs) Think about this. Every person I meet is actually my request to look into my mirror. True or false? Absolutely true. So as you take away tonight's conversation, if you want to just play with the notion that every person you meet, every person I meet, is actually a divine reflection. To allow my explorer to go, hmm, I wonder what that reflection is. To me, spices up the day, big time. (laughs) (laughs) So as you think about this exercise and people that you want to interview, with a heightened awareness that the people that you're looking to interview, you're actually looking to look in your own mirror. How does that shape this exercise for you? It's helping me to learn more about myself as I learn who it is that I'm attracting into my life, the people I'm attracting into my life. Yum. And really become vulnerable at times and allow myself to get to know that person. Bingo. Marsha, they're all getting out their mirrors and going, oh, crap, now what do I say? (laughs) 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 There is a a level of reflection here that, oh, at first blush, it's pretty overwhelming. Part of the secret sauce, ladies and gentlemen, as we wrap up, is lifting the curtain and seeing the true divine self, however you want to use that word divine. I'm not talking about dogma. I'm not talking about some sort of prescribed, boxed way of being. I'm talking about whatever you'd call divine or relate to as divine. Lifting the curtain of doubt, guilt, shame, and worry, the chaos committee, lifting those curtains, and all of a sudden looking at that reflection in the mirror and going, wow. Do we dare try to do a round of ahas, or should we just leave you all in the primordial soup for a bit? I like like primordial primordial soup. (laughs) (laughs) I think primordial soup right now sounds good for me too, so. I'm really learning so much more about myself, things I never knew, almost like hidden secrets about me coming out that I just never knew that were part of my potentiality. I never realized it until this class. Yum! (laughs) (laughs) All from a book with a jacket on it that says, pay me what I'm worth. Go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you weren't such a great psychic soul, I mean, come on. If you didn't know all this stuff, I'm very grateful for for this. 
I plan on going through this as many times as I need, this book and this course. Very much your diligence and your wit and your perseverance and patience, sir. Thank you. And the feeling is quite mutual. Mahalo. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're getting close to wrapping up the bigger sections of Chapter 5. The next few exercises are not quite as strenuous, but it prepares you now. I want to plant this notion. We're now getting into that, crossing the middle of the bridge. We're beginning to wrap up learning how to receive, and we're preparing ourselves to learn how to give. And the next few exercises are going to be able to really enhance both sides of the bridge. The next exercise, exercise 18, start now. This is where the rubber meets the road. And keep in mind, there are people who have done exercise 18 eight times. Wow. So if you think you're going to get it all done on the first pass, good luck with that. Ladies and gentlemen, I bow to you once again for all your hard work. Time to close this class. What did you get out of this show? We truly want to know. Simply post in the comment box at the bottom of this page. After hearing so many people experience so many ahas, I wonder, are you ready to take this class yourself? We start new classes each time we have 12 or more people ready to go. You're listening to Marcia Sortino, Team Seekers, Team Captain. Get in touch to learn how to become one of Pay Me What I'm Worth's paid instructors today. And remember, before you go, think about who else would enjoy our classes. Post this show on your social networking sites to help more people enjoy some weekly wit and wisdom. Aloha. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.